Welcome to Detective Debrief. My name is Policy and I play a detective in real life. Here we're going to talk about true crime, conspiracies, current events, and law enforcement related topics. Though it is not always the case, today we have a guest. We'll introduce him after a few quick disclaimers. Given the nature of the content we're about to discuss, a few warnings and disclaimers are appropriate. First, a general disclaimer for graphic content. Since we'll be discussing criminal acts up to and including homicides, this podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener slash reviewer, discretion is advised. Next, if suspects are named, all suspects are considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. And last, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual speakers. They do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any government agency. All that out of the way, let's meet our guest. Guest, who are you? I can just be called Walker. I am not a detective, <laughs> like my kind host here. I'm just basically a patrol officer in a somewhat half-decent-sized apartment. And yeah, that's pretty much who I am. That's it. That's all the things. That's it. So Nothing now, special. so we know what you do. You said you're an average patrol cop, but what else do you do? I am also part of our riot team, our special response team. I'm an instructor for that team. So I've gone around, taught a couple different departments. I'm a federally certified mobile field force instructor. So I go around and teach formations and do different scenarios with different departments and let them know what I do and how to do it safely. How long have you been doing the instructing part? Obviously, you instruct people from all over your agency, right? I mean, you're a larger right. agency. I probably instructed over a thousand officers-ish. I've been doing it for two years now. So we've nice. been quite busy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, t the two years you picked interesting yeah. years yeah so one of the questions that i asked in the survey was if you had any tips for people who are listening right now and uh, you, uh, qu quality tip you put in there so what is uh, your, what what is your tip walker <laughs> from many many experiences always always go out wearing clean underwear because you never know who might see them <laughs> it's fair N none of the uh reverse it uh, inside out wear it again Nonsense. Nope. Uh, up in, up in here. <laughs> All right. Uh, so the last thing that we I saw in your survey, and that kind of leads into what we're going to talk about today, is you mentioned in your survey that you were an intern for the medical examiner's office. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I got the chance to do that back in college. Oh, Christ, probably 10 years ago now. And basically what it was is you shadow the investigators, the death investigators, and the autopsy techs and medical examiner. Okay. So one day you go out and say, for instance, I work PM shift. One day you go out with the investigators, go to the scenes, help collect evidence, bring them back, log everything. And the next day you work AM shift and you assist the autopsy techs doing the autopsies, help take different organs out, fluids, whatever they need. It's It was very... Very unique experience, to say the least. Yeah, sounds like it. So you you wrote in here, you had an experience that not other not many other people have had a chance to have, like holding a heart or using a bone saw. Yeah. Fre frequent use, Dexter? Was that a thing you do often? Not anymore. Oh, okay. Um, it was one hell of a summer, though. There was days where we would go out and get four or five bodies during the day, and it was... It was just chaos because you 
have to log the scene and then you have to kind of like decompress it's kind of like police work you have to Mm -hmm. decompress and let everything go scene to scene and like kind of restart and go in with everything with fresh eyes so it's like oh this guy hung himself this guy got ran over by a train this guy drowned it this guy got hit by a car this guy got shot i mean you don't know what you're going to see scene to scene, just like an officer. Mm -hmm. So during your time as an officer or as an intern for the medical examiner's office, did you ever take part in a drowning death recovery or investigation? None that I can remember as an officer. As an intern, I remember one very vividly. It was a woman who took a bunch of pills and then chased it with half a bottle of vodka. And she just said, yeah, you know what, I'm done and walked right into the river. And that was it for her. Passed right out, called it a day. It's a little weird. When we investigated the scene, we found a suicide note in her car. She was still right near the riverbank, so it wasn't too difficult to find out where she came from because she had only been... They reported her missing for not even a day because I believe she had made some phone calls and said, this is what I'm going to do, this is where I'm going to be, this is where my car is going to be at, and then did it. So how how sure are you that it wasn't the smiley face killer? Uh, I'm going to go 100%. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. Mostly for Mm -hmm. her plans. Yeah. But I did not look for any graffiti. (gasps) So that's my bad. Could have been anywhere. Yeah. Could could have been anywhere. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Literally. Yeah, literally. Um, (laughs) But we'll we'll get into that because you chose our topic for today. Yeah. When did you... Learn about the smiley face killers slash murder theory. I've been hearing about it for a few years off and on. It's just something that's always been kind of in the back of my head, but I never really looked into further. And I just kind of wanted to dive deep into it more. And you did a hell of a job with that. <laughs> we have a planning document and it's a mess. Um, so I first heard about the smiley face murder theory when the son of a former Packers offensive coordinator drowned in the Fox River in 2012 and Facebook went insane, like insane. Everybody was talking about how absolutely that's what happened. He definitely wasn't drunk, even though uh, I think his talks report showed alcohol and marijuana use and not like a little bit, not trace amounts. So that was where I first heard about it, which put me in, I think, a different position than you. You were a little bit, when we first talked about it, you were a little bit more like, maybe, maybe there's something to this. And I was like, there is nothing to this. <laughs> I don't. Cautiously I optimistic. Yeah. yeah. You were like, oh, this maybe it'd be interesting. And then, um, no. So. Just shut me down. Yep. Stone cold. All right. So we're going to go back to the beginning. The smiley face killer slash murder theory was started by retired NYPD detective Kevin Gannon after the case of Patrick McNeil. The short version on McNeil is he walked away after a night of drinking and ended up in the river. The route that he walked was allegedly improbable, but we'll get into McNeil a little bit later. Gannon retired in 2001 and was joined by another retired detective, Anthony Duarte. They called the cases at the time the University Murders and now allege that smiley face killer was coined by the media. They did not believe originally that the smiley face graffiti was significant, but have since found it was, which I find immediately suspicious. You're telling me that something that has driven most of your recognition was, you know, oops, it was just a thing that the media figured out. 
The original theory is that young, athletic, college-age white men were being murdered and their remains found in bodies of water. Later, Gannon and Duarte came across a news piece about a study of suspicious drownings in the Midwest by Dr. Lee Gilbertson of St. Cloud University in Minnesota. The three of them partnered up around 2005-2006. Gilbertson had put together 22 suspicious drownings after months of follow-up. In April 2008, they went public with their findings. The findings were, between 1997 and 2008, 40 young, athletic, college-age white men were murdered and their remains found in bodies of water. Nearby the location the bodies allegedly entered the water, there were almost always specific types of graffiti, the most popularly noted being the smiley face. Now, Duarte claimed in 2008 that the killer would be the opposite of the victims. Not smart, someone not good in school, maybe doesn't have a job, probably not popular and would lash out by drugging and murdering the men before dumping them in the bodies of water. Dr. Gilbertson and retired Detective Gannon went on to publish a book in 2014, Case Studies in Drowning Forensics, which has the back cover quote, When a corpse is found in a body of water, authorities generally presume that the manner of death was either an accident or a suicide. They do not treat the recovery site as a potential crime scene or homicide, so many cases remain unsolved. Case Studies in Drowning Forensics investigates the cases of 13 bodies recovered from water in similar circumstances and one survivor. So a few quick notes. Most cases that are credited to the smiley face killer theory remain undetermined drownings or even suicidal drownings. Cause of death is the specific injury that leads to death, in this case drowning. Manner of death is the determination of how the injury leads to death. The manner of death has five options, natural, accidental, suicide, homicide, and undetermined. Many sources mix these around, which can make researching this a little bit confusing. Obviously, the topic is heavily focused on graffiti. Out of the 40 original murders, 22 had smiley faces. And out of those 22, nine had horns, but these were only found in five states. So the smiley face killer trio uses this as evidence as multiple different killers are connected. Critics oh, say there's lots of smiley face graffiti around. Dan's quote saying this in the Daily Beast. Been on hundreds of bridges. There aren't as many as you think but we only include it if the other symbols specific to this group are present too. So the smiley face killer theory maintains there are 13 symbols, not just the smiley faces. Related to this phenomenon, most unreleased, found near the locations. One other symbol, tag, identifier, whatever you want to call it, is, I'm going to butcher this, <laughs> is the Sin Sinua. Yeah. Sin Sin Ewa. Something like that. <laughs> Basically, it's just an Indian word meaning rattlesnake or home of the young eagle. According to the Center for Homicide Research, Sinsinua is a relatively common term that appears in over 15 different locations around the country, including Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Illinois, Washington, streets, rivers, businesses, schools, and even a religious order all share the same name. So while Gannon's book covers 13 cases and one survivor, we're going to run through four. The four that we're covering are McNeil, James, Booth, and Jenkins. So the very first case, the one that started it all, was Patrick McNeil. McNeil was a 19-year-old Fordham University student. Professors praised his work, and McNeil had aspirations to join the FBI. On February 16, 1997, he went to a pub in Manhattan called the Dapper Dog and drank some alcoholic beverages with friends. The temperature on that date, which as researching all of this, I found very significant. The temperature was a high of 35, around 35 degrees and a low of 26 degrees Fahrenheit. So Patrick McNeil was last seen around 12.30 a.m. on February 17, 1997. He left the bar and turned toward the East River. A few sources allege he was followed by a van with a male and female in it until he was out of sight of the bar. 
On February 20th, the case was assigned to retired Detective Kevin Gannon. On April 7th, 50 days later, McNeil was found face up in the upper New York Bay, 12 miles south of where he was last seen. The autopsy listed the manner of death as undetermined, but the cause of death drowning. It was notable to Gannon that he was found wearing less clothes than he was last seen. The quote specifically was, The removal of clothing is characteristic of persons who experience hypothermia. We found it hard to believe that Pat took off most of his clothing and shoes and then jumped into the cold waters of New York City's East River in February, especially since the medical examiner did not describe any physical indicators of hypothermia in the autopsy report. We're going to get into hypothermia and what it looks like on um, deceased persons, decedents. Yeah, whenever um, we get into like the science of it, of it all. Yeah, we'll, we'll kind of interject here and there with that. But McNeil's blood alcohol content was determined to be a 0.16. The NYPD's official consensus is that Patrick drunkenly stumbled his way over to the East River, fell in, and drowned. However, Gannon theorizes he was dosed with GHB. Question, Walker. In your experience, could it not be possible that McNeil was not a seasoned alcoholic? That he a 0.16 was enough for him to be well inebriated, impaired? I mean, depending on the kid's build, how much he did in college, I mean, is he drinking all the time? A 1.6, you can be fall down, stumble drunk. You can do that at 0.05. Mm-hmm. It, it all depends on the person. That's the issue with alcohol, drugs, everything. So you just don't know unless you know the person incredibly well. Yeah, so. I- I find that Gannon references the blood alcohol content as if it's some sort of concrete science that we know that a 0.16 is just this very mellow is just it was just six drinks he's fine couldn't possibly be that he had more he definitely wasn't impaired in my state 0.16 is double the legal limit you can't drive you're too impaired to drive a vehicle yeah 0.16 I mean he might be speaking from personal experience. I don't want to judge him or anything like that. I mean, a 0.16 could be easy for me. I can still probably will get to a 0.16 today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it 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 just all depends on the person. It's that's the issue. If you've never gotten that drunk before, you won't know how to handle yourself. But when you do it all the time, like most police officers probably do, <laughs> uh, much to our detriment. Uh, it, a point one six can be nothing. We can still go out and even somewhat function, maybe. I've had functioning alcoholics at around a two late the high two, point two eight, point two seven, like driving their cars and seeming relatively normal. Yeah, it might throw out a few clues on uh, on the test, but yeah, once you get to the test, otherwise you wouldn't be no. Yeah, yeah, nope. Yeah, once you get to the test, okay, obviously you're you're impaired, but um, before that, you probably wouldn't. Uh, be able to figure it out. Yeah. Question for you. When you were the medical examiner's intern, did you have a famous uh, forensic pathologist in your office? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was not there when Dr. Cyril Wecht was there. Mm. Um, All right. He he was outed two to five years. Somewhere. I'll put that in a okay. broad spectrum yeah. there. Uh, one, two, three, maybe one, four years. Two, three, four. Uh, yeah, somewhere around there. But he was the medical examiner for Allegheny County All right. for quite some time. All right. So not to not to throw you under the bus, but there's a, a section yeah. here where I kind of uh, typed up some some stuff on Mr. Wecht where. Um, yeah. yeah, he's damn near almost infamous at this point. Yeah. Uh, so in cases where Gannon becomes involved, it appears he relies on Dr. Cyril Wecht and he's MD and JD, which makes him a forensic pathologist and attorney 
Gannon describes Wecht in his book as one of the world's leading medical legal consultants. He has performed over 14,000 autopsies during his career as a coroner and medical examiner of Allegheny County, including Pittsburgh. However, a simple Google search will find that Wecht is a celebrity coroner, which is where most of us came to know him as. He did the autopsies on Elvis, John Benet Ramsey, and less than two weeks after the Tommy Booth case, we'll discuss shortly, he was charged but not convicted of public corruption. He was accused of overbilling, donating unclear remains to universities for students to work on, and uh, using work time and employees to run personal errands on or for private work. Plenty of internet sources called him a conspiracy theorist and report that he would say or do anything to pretty much get on TV. Interestingly, when he died in 2020, he posthumously released his own memoir describing himself as the world's most controversial forensic pathologist, which I might agree with. I mean, how many other pathologists do you know that can you actually know by name? He's one of the rare ones. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Wecht was Gannon's go-to independent pathologist, and he concluded that McNeil had burns, described as the blackening of his head and upper torso, and alleged that ligature marks were around his neck, and that somehow his back, but not the back of his neck and head, was protected from this, this burning. He explained in his book that he believed someone used a broad-tipped blowtorch on the upper torso and apparently around his neck and head. The book includes a picture of the autopsy, like a drawing from memory of the autopsy, and I'm, I'm very confused. So my personal belief after looking at that was the more likely explanation is that the unblackened part of the body was in the freezing water and the blackened part was not. It was exposed to the elements, sunlight, air, whatever. The cold slows decomposition. Gannon even says this in his book. Cold weather may prolong this process and water usually doubles its time. The body was found face up. He was missing 50 days, and it's possible the body was stuck somewhere out of sight in that position before his remains were discovered. The autopsy photo leads me to believe that the body was caught by the head somewhere along the 12-mile route. According to research done on cold temperatures and weather conditions and their effects, cold temperatures can prevent decomposition except for the change in coloration from the skin from its natural color to orange or black. Relevant to this study, cold temperatures, sustained temperatures of less than 37 degrees Fahrenheit may retard or entirely prevent the onset of rigor mortis until the remains are allowed to thaw. These are things that Gannon, throughout his research, kind of hangs his hat on that I struggle with believing. The next topic that he thinks refutes an accident, he, this can't possibly be an accident because there were housefly eggs on the decedent's groin. He refuses in his book to believe that housefly eggs could have gotten there anyway, but McNeil being in a warm residence at the time of death. He name drops numerous experts in the book, including someone from the, I think it's the Tennessee Body Farm, a pathologist from the Tennessee Body Farm. But none of these experts were willing to go on record about the fly eggs. Gannon's explanation is that McNeil died in a house, was tortured by being burned with a blowtorch, and then was moved to the river. He holds that McNeil was stalked, abducted, held for an extended amount of time, murdered, and disposed. So what do you think happened to McNeil Walker? I mean, I've seen plenty of bodies that have turned black just from sitting around. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, would yep. there be blistering that goes with the burns, especially if he was held for 50 days, the body would start to heal? Uh, there would be some evidence of that. I, I mean, yeah, there's flies everywhere. <laughs> That's one thing that I got from like the medical examiner's office. That if a fly comes around me, I'm like freaking out. Mm, like yuck. anything else, 
it's fine. I have no problem with. But if a fly starts coming near me, it's like, oh yeah, this is definitely a dead dude. Yeah, yeah. Just, that's cool. This was made out of this dude's stomach and just landing on me. This is cool. Yum. Yeah, yeah. But it gives you a little bit of the the other PTSD thing kind of stuff. Yeah, the other thing about houseflies is like they're born and they die within like a week, right? Isn't that like yeah. the the life of a housefly? So he's yeah, claiming. He's claiming this person was murdered, tossed in a river at some point over the course of 50 days, eventually floated downriver, and then within seven days, or prior to seven days, because they were eggs. So they're only eggs for like the first day, I think. Right. So And then turns into maggots, and then you keep on rolling with the train. But So I struggled to understand that, okay, for 50 days, like you said, he was tortured and burned and kept alive, quote unquote alive even though his whole face was black on the autopsy picture. But he was kept alive for 50 days, and on the 49th, or I should say, he was kept alive for 49 days and then put in the river and found immediately. That's his his consensus out of this. And I just, I'm having a hard time believing, like you said, there's no healing, there's no there's no nothing else that happened. With drownings and stuff, there are people that die in water, sometimes there's bloat, but, mm-hmm. I mean, the water, the cold weather can affect that too. The body just mm-hmm. might freeze up a little bit and not absorb anything that's yeah it's another possibility yeah so who knows we get kind of to this this uh science in just a second i'm probably going to sound like a broken record through all most of these cases because my opinion kind of remains the same for many of them but i think he was drunk he fell in the river alive panicked and died hypothermia can set in at 32 degrees fahrenheit 32 and a half degrees fahrenheit or less you lose dexterity in under two minutes you become unconscious in under 15 minutes and your expected time of survival is, survival is 15 to 45 minutes. So he fell in, he freaked out, and then he died. Maybe not necessarily of inhaling water or maybe of inhaling water, but he died. What matches the evidence was that, for me, is that while he was alive or shortly after, he found a surface to cling to or get stuck on but not crawl out of the water. Then he died of hypothermia between 15 to 90 minutes and then Eventually, this was all out of sight, obviously, because even in Gannon's theory, it was a day, allegedly, before he was found or somewhere around a day. So this the theory that I'm proposing fits a peer reviewed paper, actual science called Postmortem Diagnosis of Hypothermia. And the quote is the identification of hypothermia as the cause of death has always been somewhat problematic in forensic pathology because of unspecific, inconsistent or even negative macroscopic and microscopic findings. However, Ethanol intoxication prevents the appearance of adaptation responses to cold, rendering the diagnosis even less obvious. So like we said, in under 45 minutes at the temperature it was, the low temperature for that night, he would have passed away from hypothermia. Additionally, the United States Coast Guard warns, while both air and water temperature affect our ability to survive, be aware that the water will cool your core body temperature 25 times more quickly than air at the same temperature. So regardless, if it were specifically drowning or hypothermia that killed McNeil, it is absolutely possible that he died at the hands of Mother Nature. These results are difficult to determine in an autopsy, but it does not make them more unlikely. This is similar with all the cases today, but definitely the next case, Dakota James. All right. So Dakota James was last seen at 11.30 p.m. January 25th, 2017. James is a 23-year-old graduate student, and he was going to Duquesne University. The working theory is that he went to go take a leak down the Allegheny River, and the temperatures were around 29 degrees to a low of 16 degrees. The weird thing about Dakota James is that on December 15th of 2016, 
He called his friend saying he was lost in downtown Pittsburgh. She picked him up and said he had lost four hours of time. He was upset. He was crying. He was real kind of delirious and coherent. The weird thing is he kept saying he was on the north side when in actuality his friend pinged his phone because she had picked him up from the airport several times and she had him connected. So he was actually on the south side of the city. So he was completely out of it. He had no idea where he was. She picked him up. He lost four hours of time. He was crying, sobbing. She believes that this shows he was targeted unsuccessfully, then targeted again. Gannon believes the killers stalk their victims, air quote, and their first incident described with Dakota James could have been one of those two things. He tried to abduct them, he escaped, or they were just kind of doing a trial run of everything. So Dakota was found on March 6, 2017 in the Ohio River, about 10 miles downriver of the city. His death was ruled an accidental drowning, and he had been missing for 40 days, but only showed decomposition consistent with being deceased for three days. His mother argues that his body did not show markings appropriate for having traveled 10 miles downriver and through a dam. Family reaches out to the trio, and they look into it. They focused on a photo of James's neck that showed markings around the back of his neck. They believe these to be ligature marks with something getting tied around, choking him out. However, there is no internal damage to the neck report in the autopsy. There was also blood pulled in the fingers which can pretty much happen if you die face down, if your hands are down. It, there's a thousand different ways that that can happen. So they also found blood pooled in the fingers. They believe this indicates he tried to remove rope or whatever was tied around his neck during the struggle. When the DA sent a homicide detective to the medical examiner's office, it was concluded that there were actually no ligature marks. Medical examiners stated that the neck marks were just dried blood and washed off during the autopsy. It's kind of strange that there was blood kind of stuck on after being stuck in a river for potentially 40 days and that's pretty much what they are arguing the ma explains that there are two rounds of pictures taken the first there's blood around the nose the mouth and pulled around the neck the second where the neck is clean and with no ligature marks and the weirdest thing about this whole thing is allegedly james's paypal account was used 48 hours after his disappearance his mom goes on to say i want people to know the truth he was a good person and not some 23-year-old child that got drunk and decided to pee in the river and fell in on his own. How does that make you feel? <laughs> I feel bad for the mother. Cause... Well, obviously, anyone that loses their child is a tragic event. Well, but also but... because it's likely that he got drunk, fell in the river, went to pee in the river and fell in the river. Yeah. I mean... The other part I struggle with is, in this case from what the Rolling Stones stated on it, is that the smiley face that was found was 10 miles away. 10 miles away from where he found, or I should say where they think he allegedly entered the river. It was 10 miles away. According to a paper by the Center, the Center for Homicide Research, there is no defined distance for a piece of graffiti to be relevant to the team. There is also no mention of the age of graffiti in any documents that they've shown. Many of these scenes were checked for smiley faces well after the incident, so months to years after. Canadian criminologist, author, and true crime expert Michael Arntfeld, Field, Arntfield, says saying graffiti was found near the scenes is dubious at best. In most of these cases, we don't know where the men went into the river or where they actually died. Additionally, research conducted by Arntfeld's own students found that a smiley face was the most common non-gang graffiti in the U.S. National Database. You can find in any city a smiley face graffiti tag somewhere along the water. 
How does that make you I feel? Mean, it's, it's just 10 miles. <laughs> you can go anywhere and find a tag and it's 10 miles. Like, you'll yeah. find a smiley face. I could probably go around the city and just find one anywhere. There's a thousand bridges and you, you just can't. It, it's dumb. Yes. It's a horrible theory. Yes. I think 100 feet is where I draw draw the line at uh, significance of graffiti. The other thing, I mean, like kind of about their theory, is you don't know where they, they entered the water. Right. So are you saying the graffiti was found where they were found or it was from where they, they believe they entered the water? And how accurate is where you entered the water? Listen, these killers are so good mm-hmm. at tidal flow and knowing when it's going to rain to know how fast the river is going to be flowing. Mm-hmm. They do charts. Mm-hmm. And oh. just let figure out where that body's gonna land. You get out their crystals. Yes, <laughs> just exactly. It's like, all right, we're gonna tag this bitch right here, and this is where the body's gonna end up. Hey, it's it's not women. It's never women. Yeah. So yeah, the killers might be women. You don't know. It's what the <laughs> movie said. Maybe. Oh, did you watch the movie? I did. Unfortunately, it was not great. Oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah. tell, tell us about the movie, because I have zero experience with the movie. Ah, it was, so it's basically like this cult, they're going around stalking this one kid, he's calling his girlfriend, he's like, hey, I think there's people after me, and this cult is following around. The cult, I can't even remember the actress in the movie, it's just so bad. This is the Uh, the 2020, the one that just came out? Yeah. So, they're following this kid around in this weird, white, unmarked van, like super, like, definitely abductor van <laughs> free it's candy just... written on the side <laughs> exactly it's like they've got like chains and stuff tied up in the back just ready to just tie ah. people down and start doing like blood rituals with mm-hmm. them and tied up in the back and still alive really weird weirdest thing is they kill his roommates they get like all the cell phone evidence saying hey this person's stalking me and they're sending pictures and text messages like just showing those like gaslighting him essentially. Hmm. And uh, his girlfriend doesn't believe him. None of his friends believe him. And it's an unfortunate end. They don't under like, they don't explain the cult. They don't under, they don't explain why they picked a certain kid. And it, it's a little bit like, there's a couple points of like gore porn in it. Aww. Like they take a hammer to a guy's face and, Stuff mm-hmm. like that. So if you're into that kind of thing, I mean, there's like four or five scenes of that. Oh, good. That's, but, that's what we want in a movie. I mean, other than that, the story was, was I had trouble following along with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm into shitty movies, <laughs> but oh yeah, it's, there's a certain point. You got a line? Yeah. It's, it's got to be like, I have to be able to like laugh at it or something to mm. see how bad it is, but it sounds I like mean, they mixed a bunch of different, yeah, like different things threw together. All the theories together, and then they just sprayed a smiley face at the end of it. No, nope. toss him into a crick. That's it. Cool, cool, yeah. cool. All right, moving on to Tommy Booth. Take it so, away. Tommy Booth was last seen January nineteenth in two thousand and eight. He's twenty four years old, and he was last seen going into Bootlegger's nightclub, and that was actually on security cameras in Woodland, PA. But he is never seen actually leaving. The temperature was roughly 38 degrees with a low about 33. Two weeks later, after the ice melted, he was found face down in a creek behind the bar. And uh, 
was face down in the creek behind the bar, though the area had been searched numerous times in the meantime. Body was full of rigor, which is usually happening with someone that's been dead less than 36 hours. So two weeks passing, I don't know if the weather got colder or what, that may have kind of messed with it. The medical examiner noticed a suspicious set of footprints and marks at the death site. There was a drag mark in the soil with possible shoe and foot impressions on either side of it, according to the autopsy report of Delaware County Medical Examiner's Office. The mark was directed upstream from the current, making it plausible that Boost's body had been dragged by its feet to the creek by an unknown assailant. However, it was ruled a probable drowning by the ME as there were no signs of trauma. Smiley face graffiti was found at the back of the nightclub, triggered the detective on the case to wonder if it was related to the smiley face murder theory. Because, I mean, who tags a bar? I mean, well, that's, that's never going to happen. Totally uncommon. <laughs> yeah. Gannon and Gilbertson brought on uh, Scott Roeder. He is a crime scene reconstructionist. Roeder created a model and concluded that Tommy's feet were placed in a way that suggested he was dragged through the sand by his legs. They had taken their token outside forensic pathologist, Cyril Wecht, and reviewed this evidence and concluded the death was highly suspicious of foul play. Surprise, surprise. Gannon and Gilbertson discussed the original enemy's finding in their book. In one case in Pennsylvania, the medical examiner did one of the best jobs I've ever seen done on an autopsy and admitted to us that he did not know the cause of death because of contributing circumstances. He was 99% sure it was a homicide, considering the body was brought back and placed in the water 12 to 13 days later with footprints and drag marks to substantiate this. Yet, although he believed the case should be handled as a homicide by the police, he wouldn't make the manner of death a homicide because he didn't know exactly what caused the victim's death. This is semantics, end quote. So, I mean, drag marks, maybe he died of natural causes in the bar. And so this is, oh, better turn those cameras off, take them all back. <laughs> I mean, we can't lose our liquor licenses like the fifth time mm -hmm. this has happened. So we can't let this one go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at minimum, it's at least messing with a corpse yeah. and mm -hmm. not reporting a crime. Or like, why wouldn't you just call 911 if he died in the bar? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't, why would you just, why would you drag a body down to a creek? It makes no sense. I mean, unless he had a heart, like you're taking him home, you freaked out and you tossed him. It, yeah. It, there's, who knows? But it's weird the ME didn't rule it a homicide with that much evidence, at least to look into it. I mean, it wasn't a natural death. No. He said mm -hmm. they ruled it a drowning, probable mm -hmm. drowning. Yes, probably. So, who knows? Yeah, this knows? this yeah. one, yeah, no one knows, I guess. The official listing is still a probable death. Uh, I think... Well, he's definitely dead. Yes, yes. <laughs> probable uh, drowning. Pro probable drowning, sorry. <laughs> probable drowning. Accidental or un undetermined. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure on that one. It's getting tossed into that unknown category. Yeah, the, the thing I'll say is that the two weeks... After the yeah. ice melted. So I, he was, you know, it was cold enough to be icy on the river, on moving water, which is cold. I mean, it's not in, right. an insignificant detail. Yeah. So the last case we're going to talk about is Chris Jenkins. This one is the only case that I can find that was switched from a undetermined drowning or a suicidal drowning, accidental drowning to... A potential homicide. The other fun detail is that in 2019, there was an oxygen special on the smiley face killer and they changed it from 40 probable potential 
cases of uh, victims of the smiley face killer to 335 in 2019. And only one of them, one, has been reclassified to a homicide. So Chris Jenkins was last seen on Halloween night in 2002, around midnight. He was 21 years old, and he was a college student in Minnesota. He disappeared from the bar, allegedly without his jacket, keys, wallet, and cell phone. Some accounts say he was ejected. Some say he was seen walking away, alone. It was just above freezing at 37 degrees to below freezing 30 degrees that night. Two different bloodhounds tracked his scent from the pizza shop across from the bar to the parking garage, and there were blood droplets found in the garage. Four months later, on February 27, 2003, Jenkins was found in the Mississippi River within a mass of frozen tree branches and debris by Gannon, and he was caught up on a sandbar. This also states the body had a small amount of snow and ice on it. The body was allegedly noticed five days earlier by one witness, but he believed it to be a prank and didn't report it. So he thought somebody threw a, a dummy or a scarecrow or some sort of prop on Halloween of all times of year over the bridge. The next witness said she saw it float to where it came to rest and was discovered. So in this case, we have victims telling us completely different details. One says it was there five days ago. I saw it. It didn't move from where it is. The next one says I saw it floating down the river to where it is right now. How often in your line of work do you run into people or witnesses who tell you two completely different stories? Daily. Yeah. <laughs> it might be almost every call. Yeah, I was going to say it, whether that's to throw you off the person's scent because of the current mentality, <laughs> just don't want to catch the guy or what. It's like even the 911 calls, you get completely different descriptions of people. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, it was definitely a, a white guy running down the alleyway going south. Meanwhile, it's a dude that got into a car that's an Asian dude got into a car and took off north. Mm -hmm. So you, you just don't know. Yeah. It's the most inconsistent thing in policing. Mm -hmm. is witness statements yes and eyewitnesses are like there's lots of research out there on eyewitnesses being somewhat unreliable unfortunately you, yeah. you think you saw something you're influenced by someone literally mentioning nothing you know in the background to you and now instead of it being like you said a, a caucasian person now it's an asian person yeah it's just it's insane and it's the thing we have to rely almost heavily, the most heavily on because we weren't there. We didn't see it yeah. happen. Mm -hmm. Unless we have cameras in the area or something, you'll never know. Yep. Yeah. It, may, it makes it very difficult when you have a person that you hope hope is reliable. Like in this case, you, you hear from the first guy. He says, oh, yep, it was there five days ago. Now you have some sort of timeline. And then the next person steps forward and says, no, just kidding. It floated down, you know, this morning. Right. So in this case, Jenkins was found face up. Curiously, his slip-on shoes were still on, so he was wearing a, a costume, a Native American costume at the bar at the Halloween party, and he had like slip-on loafer clog type shoes, and they were still on his feet. His arms were crossed uh, on his chest, so Gannon described it in his book as like a mummy in a sarcophagus. And his shirt, Jenkins' shirt, was still tucked into his costume pants. Sometime later, in the autopsy photo, I think it was like four years later, a clump of hair was found in a photo by his mom that was clutched in his left hand. His... Who missed that? <laughs> <laughs> like, this is the first yeah. thing you check. You check under the nails and you check in the hands. Yes. Oh, God. So right. this, this was tested, I think it was four years later, and found to be his own hair. All right. Uh, All right. Jenkins, which, interesting, but again, not, not our suspect. Cool. 
His blood alcohol was 0.12, and he had traces of GHB, which is the date rape drug, in his system. It was closed in 2004 as an accidental drowning. So we're going to take a quick moment to discuss the GHB because in a Approximately 2009, Gannon stated of the original 40 cases, 99.9% of cases had GHB present. In a Daily Beast article, they estimated about 30 victims had it in their system. However, in a Rolling Stone article, it was stated many families of suspected smiley face victims had either requested that the coroner test for GHB during the autopsy or sent Gannon, Gilbertson, and Duarte samples for them to test themselves. So I'm already going with a chain of evidence concern here. But in in 2019 to Fox 32 out of Chicago, Gannon was quoted saying, we know how they dispense it. They already have it in a Visine bottle. With that interesting theory in mind, let's talk about GHB in postmortem toxicology reports. So after someone has passed away, we test their blood or different samples of their body and see how much of something, so alcohol, THC, whatever, is in their body. Peer-reviewed scientific article said GHB tested positive in the, all of the 71 whole blood cardiac specimens with concentrations in a range from 0.4 to 0.40 milligrams per liter. A concentration of more than 50 milligrams per liter was observed in 14 cases. As there was no data to support GHB exposure, this was considered a post-mortem formation, which means these people hadn't recreationally done GHB and we didn't weren't believed to have been dosed. So greater than 50 milligrams per liter was observed in 14 cases that had never used GHB just from how their body decomposes because the body naturally produces GHB during decomposition. As a side note, natural levels of GHB occur in the body range from 0.25 milligram to 0.5 milligrams per liter according to the National Center for Biotechnology Information. In Gannon's book, he uses one study, his own, of one person to disprove this science, which makes me feel a way. How does it make you feel, Walker? I mean, I actually didn't know that about the body breaking down into GHB. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's really no reliable test because depending on how long the body broke down, if it's been in water... Do the microbes like still break it down if they're frozen? I mean, if it's affecting decomp this much, how do you know how it's affecting the other systems when it's doing it? Mm-hmm. And so this is pretty much a moot point. And in they his may have around bottle bo- then visine bottles, but man. And in his book, he you know acknowledges that um, GHB is produced during decomposition. He he just says it's not that much. It can't possibly be that much. Where this research showed that 14 of 71 cases had greater than or around what Jenkins had in his system at the time that he was discovered or he was tested. So essentially it doesn't matter because you can't prove it. It could be (laughs) perfectly fine. So back to Jenkins. His family hired a number of individuals to continue the investigation. They organized and paid for multiple canine tracks, search parties, and a PI. The conclusion of these searches has been a few different theories depending on where you read, but these are the claims. The PI found witnesses who reported that a gang of at least 10 men had attacked a man in front of the pizza place across the street from the bar in an alleged gang initiation. One of the canine tracks ruled out jumping from the bridge seems corroborated by physical evidence that he didn't jump from the bridge due to lack of damage to the body. However, but the canine appeared to track down the middle of the road on the bridge. Gannon states this was likely the scent of Chris in a car. CCTV footage in the area also found no evidence of Chris where the dog had hit on the bridge. 
The two separate canines hit at a bus and parking facility nearby. Chris was not seen on any of the CCTV footage provided by that company. Both canines tracked to a parking garage just across the street from the bar he was last seen in. They appeared to hit on stalls 89 and 90. Both dogs on different days at different times hit on st- stalls 89 and 90. I mean, how reliable is that? Because there's times you lose tracks well, within hours. <laughs> it depends on where you read. Obviously, Gannon, Gannon's book, he talks about that they, they tested for reliability. They took one of the dogs for sure to Jenkins's house and walked the dog around his parents' house and said, okay, the dog will tell us which room Jenkins spent the most time in. And this was a month and a half, two months after Jenkins had died. So they they took the dog to the parents' house and the dog was able to identify the rooms that Jenkins spent time in, according to the parents. So they did some sort of reliability test. Also, the dog is somewhat famous in the area, I guess, for a different drowning that he found the victim of very quickly. Good boy. Yeah, good good boy. boy. Good boy, yes, good boys. (laughs) Appeared to hit on stalls 89 and 90 in the parking garage. Hold on just a second. We have County Canine Guy in the chat who does dog, does dog, obviously. County Canine Guy, what what, what do you have? What are you oboying and face palming? Is this a cadaver dog or tracking? Uh, I could yeah, probably... that's what I was wondering too. Is it okay. like a dual purpose dog? Is it a bloodhound? Let's, it's a bloodhound. They, they were both bloodhounds. Oh, okay. Both dogs were bloodhounds. Okay. That and, might make more sense. And allegedly there were droplets found, but... Uh, Gannon is the one I found reporting that. So I don't have the police reports on this. They're, the police reports on this, I haven't re- physically read all of them. So we're going on information that's eh, a tracking dog following someone in a car. I actually researched it uh, to see if that was likely. And of course, all forums, none official, say that it is po- allegedly is possible that whether it's an accident or not, the dog has tracked where they believe the car went and found the person. And then confession after the fact said, yes, that is actually what happened. Now, was it just a fluke and they started here and then it was so close that they, I don't know. But that's what we have. So back to to the different theories. So unknown when after this incident, believed around the month and a half that he went missing. So this is all between when he went missing and when he was found that these canine tracks were done. A parking attendant believed that one of the bouncers, an off-duty Minneapolis Police Department officer, was using that spot that night. It's unknown if this was a long-term rental, a nightly rental, or how or if this information was corroborated, but that's what Gannon claims. The canine allegedly had a mild hit on that bouncer's car on December 9th of 2002. He was found in February 2003. He went missing on Halloween 2002. And now December 9th, there was a mild hit. That's the quote that was a mild hit. Internet users have deduced, and it may be in Jenkins' mother's book, I have not read it, that this off-duty Minneapolis police officer was friendly with Jenkins' girlfriend and that that night, Jenkins' girlfriend was wearing one of this officer's uniform shirts for her sexy police officer costume. It's also alleged that he gave Jenkins' girlfriend a ride home that night. There's a quote floating around that intimates that the Minneapolis Police Department wouldn't follow up with this because the officer was a married man with kids. Yeah, because cops definitely don't cheat at all. <sighs> no, never. It doesn't happen. In November 2006, the accidental drowning was reclassified to a homicide by the new police chief at the time. So the old police chief retired. A new person got in. Gannon and the family got with him, showed him what they had, and he reclassified it to a homicide. Quote from the The press conference was, when we are investigating a case, we will obviously do the best we can, but we are going to occasionally make mistakes. 
In Chris Jenkins' case, we did make a mistake. And for that, and for the Minneapolis Police Department, I want to apologize to the Jenkins family. The police at that time also had a source that had given specific details on the spot Jenkins was thrown off a bridge. It was later reported that I found that this was from an inmate who reported this information and it was unlikely to be true. In 2007, the Minneapolis Police Department discussed an unnamed suspect with a county attorney. So they tried to pursue charges on this uh, unnamed suspect, who is unnamed to this day. However, the attorney's office stated it was not chargeable due to a lack of evidence. Oh. Uh, uh, a really reliable Reddit thread <laughs> showed <laughs> that <laughs> apparently they were... Yeah, never lies. Yeah, no, Reddit's not... Whatever. Showed that they believed that he was referring the unnamed suspect was a Jeremy Alford who was known to be a regular patron of the bar and believed to be in the bar that night and was convicted and imprisoned I believe like earlier for killing someone I want to say it was a brother but I've did a lot of reading about murders recently so <laughs> could be anybody but Maybe he was he, he, he was a convicted murderer so Chris's family has said that the various reasons they or for various reasons they believe that Chris was thrown in the back of a van, abducted, tortured, and eventually murdered. Gannon states in the book that specifically he was drugged with GHB, abducted near the Lone Tree Bar and Grill, held for a period of time, suffocated, posed on his back with his hands placed across his chest, and then slid into the Mississippi River on his back north of the Father Lewis Hennepin Bridge. How do we feel about Jenkins? I mean, the whole theory behind it might be a lot of bullshit, but their research did get a homicide reclassified. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like the, I think it's the, what, Innocence Project, where attorneys go around trying to get people out of jail that have been wrongly convicted mm -hmm. and everything. So, I mean, just getting one case reclassified might make the entire thing worth it mm -hmm. in the end. Like, you got 335 cases. You got one. It, Math doesn't you, really you work did. out. Yeah. I mean they still did something, mm -hmm. <laughs> something good. True. And Whether someone didn't get convicted out of it is yeah. another thing, but it's still something. Interestingly, on this whole uh, thing, Gannon has a website, which uh, has nothing on it, to be fair, but it does talk about he was involved in a Texas case uh, where the Innocence Project was trying to prevent an execution, which, you know, it's the... In my opinion, he's a law enforcement officer. He wants to do good things. Like he is a retired right. detective. He wants to do good things. I think some of it is a little misguided, but he's trying to do good things. Right. So really quick, I'm going to go over some interesting uh, details. Gilbertson, Dr. Gilbertson, who co-wrote this book, I keep referring to it as Gannon's book, but it is Dr. Gilbertson and Gannon's book and Duarte's book. Gilbertson's early research alleged that 82% of these deaths happen in the first two weeks of the month. 75% of them happen when the moon is less than full. And he states it is statistically impossible for these to be so similar and not related. I, I mean, correlation doesn't necessarily maybe. mean causation. Yes. I'm right there with you. Yes. <laughs> Correct. I, I Two weeks of the month? That's half the month. <laughs> Where are we going with this? Two, two yeah. weeks? 50%? You're flipping a coin. Yeah. And 75% of them happen when the moon is less than full. Again, that's half of the time. Or no, that's more than half of the time, right? A full moon is the yeah. whole, it's one, one phase of the, whatever. Correct. Point stands. Statistically, it's very possible that those two things happen together. So the same day that they went public in April of 2008... The FBI did a press release, which 
Interesting how that happens. But basically, it was like one sentence and said, we have not developed any evidence to support links between these cases. FBI Which... memo. Nobby. <laughs> no, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Back at you, bro. So, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Also, in their book, the, the theorists classify that these are not serial or spree crimes or mass killings by FBI definitions. They are, quote unquote, linked murders. In 2019, the Smiley Face Trio comes out and says the database now has 335 possible victims, only 70 of which had smiley faces. So their entire theory, essentially, which is the Smiley Face graffiti, hence the name Smiley Face. Mm -hmm. uh, what is that? A third? Fourth? I'm bad at math. <laughs> it's, it's not great. <laughs> almost a fifth of the cases only have graffiti not good stuff and of that graffiti maybe up to 10 miles away yeah up to 10 miles away mm -hmm. yeah so up to 10 miles away and uh since then they've come out the the 13 you know they talked about the 13 different items of graffiti it's not just that smiley face and then i think somewhere in their book they claim that they only count the smiley face if other graffiti is present but again that sinsinoa or whatever is alleged to be a very common occurrence, especially in the Midwest. So are we saying a road sign that says Cincinnati or a river that says Cincinnati is now in a smiley face that some, you know, 15-year-old spray-painted on a stop sign is now indicating that there was a, a murder here, someone was drowned here. I just, yep. I'm struggling. <laughs> so another quote from the book that kind of, I'll say it raised my hackles a little bit. It's quoted as, no police department wants to carry a case that is an open homicide with very few clues, especially in situations where there may be more cases, thus making it a serial crime. As in La Crosse, Wisconsin, serial anything, three or more, is something police departments dread, and a serial homicide are the two most dreaded words in the English language next to the words task force, which are most certain to follow homicide. I mean, yeah, no one wants to deal, have to deal with a serial anything, which means... Uh, pretty much all that means is you're sucking at your job at preventing crime. It's yeah. the same person doing the same thing over and over. The task force thing is very true. You know, whenever <laughs> you hear a task, new task force getting formed or some new group getting made, you know shit's about to go bad <laughs> real quick. Here's a whole bunch of work and good yep. luck. <laughs> so my part of this is, okay, he's quoted in the same book in the same book, saying these are not serial or spree crimes or mass killings. And then here he's defining serial anything, three or more. Semantics, fine. And serial homicide is not what you've proven. So in this particular instance of La Crosse, Wisconsin, I think there were nine cases that were relatively close together, a couple years apart. Nine people drowned in the river. La Crosse has a university that is close to the river. So in 2006, Operation Riverwatch was started in the city of La Crosse. Every weekend, our volunteers come into contact with intoxicated individuals, and often these are individuals who are disoriented to the point where they believe they are walking towards their home back in the city, when in actuality, they are heading straight for the levee. In 2011, alone, 1,297 people were turned away from Riverside Park between 11 and 3 a.m. on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. Sounds about right. Yeah, I yeah. can see that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so Lacrosse PD also released a statement or report in 2009 with some samples of cases where people were recovered from the river alive or witnessed drownings. The details are fascinating. Unex I mean, I guess not surprising to law enforcement, I would assume. We've, we've seen just how dumb people can be, but still fascinating. 
Many of them were intoxicated. Some even partially fell into the water and then made their way to safety. All reported no foul play that got them into the river. Some were dared to. A quote was, I tried to swim across the river from Pettibone Park on a dare and could not make it. Many were suicidal. Some abandoned their clothes and phone once they got cold and wet. One interesting detail that harkens back to our discussion on the blood alcohol content was a quote that said he refused the life ring multiple times. Officers coaxed him close enough to shore to jump in and grab him. It took multiple officers to bring him ashore. The subject was profane, combative, and threatening towards officers. His blood alcohol content was 0.18. It was only 0.18, Walker. Only. It's like, what, seven seven drinks? He's totally fine. Remember... Gannon alleged that 0.16, he should not have been drunk enough to fall in the river. Now we have a person who wants to fight officers, threatens officers, was in the river. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I'm just, I'm struggling. Completely refusing help. <laughs> yeah. So based on the quotes and the wonderful push I've given you <laughs> to feel about this book, how do you feel about their book or about their research as of 2008, to be fair? I mean, they're just throwing anything and hoping it sticks to the wall yeah it's the spaghetti spaghetti on the yeah. wall fingers crossed I mean, their parameters i guess is the best word for it <laughs> uh-huh for graffiti are just insane mm-hmm. In 10 miles and you could have any graffiti it's not a specific tag it's not specific paint it's not a word it's i mean there's no rules you no. can make it say this is a stick figure sitting by itself it's now part of our crime scene yeah we're using this word guess what a cab is now part of (laughs) killer theory watch out every city that has a drowning is now yes Mm -hmm. with this my face killer welcome to post 2020 (laughs) the graffiti thing really gets me because 13 different things and you've told us two of them so we know two of 13 but we don't know the rest of the, the other 11 you know we don't know what those are That could be anything. They're not releasing it. So you could literally make it up tomorrow and be like, just kidding. It was actually the, the, you know, the S from high school where you draw the three lines and then the two in the middle. And it's that. Every millennial has drawn that somewhere. (laughs) Now it's a homicide. I just, whatever. My opinion on the book, and maybe I'm just a stickler. Maybe I'm an a-hole, whatever. I find it to be problematic in the language for a book displayed as science or science-based. So many of the claims seem more akin to claims of a gossip rag than a scientific journal or even a well-researched article in a normal magazine. The evidence is essentially an unlisted do-it-yourself project. You have to figure it out, reader. One quote that I pulled was regarding McNeil. Further investigation revealed that Pat's body should never have been recovered where it had been, considering information obtained by Gannon about the water currents for the East River and the Upper New York Bay from the harbor unit that patrols the river. Pat had to have been abducted, probably by the couple who were following him in the car, driven to that location and deposited there for him to have been recovered at that location. So rather than explain the science or the math, it's just because I said so, because someone told me, because some person on the NYPD harbor unit said this thing. And some of these items to me require more explanation to be believable. You're trying to convince me of a theory that's outlandish undeniably outlandish. You're telling me 40 people across 11 states and 25 cities drowned because of a quote-unquote serial killer or gang of serial killers or cult of serial killers. But I just have to believe it because you said so. Like, yeah. is, is there anyone at your department that would say weird shit to Gannon just because? Probably. Yeah, yeah, we got a lot of jagoffs in our yeah. department. All right. And even <laughs> if, just if, into the troll. Yes, that's what I'm like. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. 
So my, the rest of my issue is Gannon goes as far as shaming those who disagree with him within the first few pages of his book and repeatedly throughout. A quote, unfortunately for those who peddled that myth and still cling to it, Pat was recovered not wearing a shirt. That was a quote where there were marks on his neck consistent with the collar of a shirt. And he's saying that if you peddle that myth or cling to it, he, he wasn't wearing a shirt. It's obviously bullshit. He's quoted saying, in order to believe that myth or common sense should have suggested or it was illogical for things that to me as law enforcement who have seen deaths and things, it's not illogical. It's perfectly reasonable. It's a reasonable belief. The language in this thing, even if you agree with him, is problematic. It allows for zero nuance. Everything is either you agree or you're an idiot. As law enforcement, it is beat into us to report the facts objectively. I mean, that happens a lot. <laughs> it's like, it, this, no, this definitely happened this way. It happens a lot. It's like, no, well, I mean, if you look at it this way, it could have happened this way. Nope, you're wrong. No, nope, yep, it's, it's wrong. Either. Come on, rookie. There ain't yeah. no way you know this. Uh, You've been on the job 20 years. You don't know nothing. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Yep. You say I, I, so. Aye, ca- aye, Captain. But, I mean... I'm open to the theory. I am mm-hmm. not open to how they presented it, if are that you, makes sense. Are you open to 335 cases, linked I cases? I am not open to 335 <laughs> cases. Okay. That's absurd. Okay. I just, that I just, would make them the most notorious serial killer in the entire world ever. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a chance it could be going on, of course. Yeah. I mean, there's also a chance that aliens might come down tomorrow and stuff there's a lot of open things but the evidence that's been shown doesn't show that yeah i I mean there's not enough there presented to change my mind that yeah kids what's more likely a college kid gets drunk and falls into the river that has no barriers and don't know where they're at or there's a group of serial killers going around and throwing kids in the water pushing and leaving no marks leaving no marks yes no putting spray paint up Maybe was, in an area. <laughs> and there was no fight. There was no there, fight yeah. out of these people. Not at There's all. They're no athletic college-aged men, and they no fight. Yeah. They didn't fight at all. Uh, it's just, there's so many weird counter-arguments, I so, can say. <laughs> this is my favorite thing that I have found from Ganon, because it makes me laugh. Ganon references the dark web. For anyone who's not familiar, the dark web is essentially, you can't Google it. It is not Googleable. Tails is a, an application that you can use to get into the quote-unquote dark web. It is, eh, you don't really have any good, great reasons to go there, but I've been there. I've, I've you know, done, done my poking in my uh, law enforcement profession. We've, during trainings, been directed there to know what goes on there. And we definitely have had investigations involving the quote-unquote dark web. Gannon claims in 2019... That they, being the serial killers, the smiley face killers, they are constantly recruiting. Years ago, we were on their dark web webpage, and it was asking us to turn on a video camera so they could see who was about to type in the password. And there's no way we were doing that. And we didn't even have the password. We'd just been given their URL. So we went to it because we were told that's how they communicate. The level of sophistication of the group is a lot greater than we imagined. Now we know they communicate with each other on the dark web. We know there's surveillance and counter-surveillance. I mean, the internet's the worst place in the world. <laughs> you are not Anything wrong. <laughs> on the dark web. You are well, not wrong. I can buy and sell whatever I want on the dark web. Including people. And figure out how to kill people together. Mm-hmm. You can hire a hitman. And then cover it up. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
You can buy creds, no. guns, people, children. Mm, yeah, yuck. there's no rules. Nope. That's why it's a dark web. But here's uh, here's my counter. Could it be a troll? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> What's he gonna do? He's like, yeah, yeah. I got these two fucking idiots. <laughs> so, yeah, you know who killed these dudes? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'll fucking tell you. Yeah. I know everything. I need your social security number. Yep. Uh, your address and <laughs> the last. Uh, turn off your camera so yes. I know what you look like, so I can make a fake ID. Yes. Please do. That's just what makes me laugh. The the whole, I got their website. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Ganon, Ganon was on Reddit, and now he found a link, and now here we are. Um, yeah. That's the one leap that I was like, ooh, he's he's not all with it anymore in 2019. I mean, to be fair, I don't know what the hell I'm doing on the dark web either. Not I've never even been on it, so I would have the exact same reaction. I don't know what I'm doing on it. I would have to take everything at full faith. But would you and... would you believe someone on the internet without no, I don't without any? On the okay, all right. <laughs> there are no girls on the internet. You don't believe anything on the internet. No. Okay. Thank you. I just wanted to make sure we were on the same page there. What do you mean? There's no hot singles in my area that want to get with me. You're crazy. So I'm sorry to break it to you. Oh. <laughs> so that it just. My experience with the dark web, I have done uh, investigations that involve the dark web to to a degree, and I've been to trainings that discuss ad, ad nauseum trainings that discuss the dark web and the current capabilities of law enforcement on the dark web, which, wink, wink, you might not know. But still, I'm not going to believe. I'm a non-believer that this is what happened, that this is truly what happened. I think he was trolled. I think this case gained popularity and is now unbelievable. And it's a, it's a joke to, to people online anyway. If you search recent discussions about this and you're not searching footprints at the water's edge dot blogspot, which is a website that has tons of cases that are alleged to be involved with the smiley face killer and is unrelated to Gannon's quote unquote database of 335 or whatever. They're still believers, but everywhere else is very skeptical, which kind of leads me to I think the trio is struggling. In more recent interviews, it sounds like they're they're splintering a little bit. Specifically on an appearance on Not Another True Crime podcast, shortly prior to their Oxygen special, so they were promoting their special, it seemed the three speakers had vastly different opinions on what was actually going on. Gannon seemed of the mind that this was definitely cells of serial killers that were communicating. He even claimed that they had spoken through the dark web. That's, that's where part of that factual basis comes from. He claimed that on their podcast. But retired detective Mike Donovan, who later joined them, was a grounding voice in that conversation saying that the biggest concern here is that these cases are unsolved homicides, more so than that they're the product of a quote-unquote serial killer or cell of serial killers. In a CNN piece, Duarte, the other detective that was involved, says, it's so widespread, we have so many different victims in so many areas, it would, in my view, be impossible to be one person. Gannon said in 2019, when we put it out, who's doing this and why, I don't think, referencing the FBI, will have any opinion but to get involved. To me, this is one of the most dangerous domestic terrorist groups in the United States, and somebody needs to pay attention to them. I mean, ah, the well, FBI cares. I mean, yeah. they're a little tied up with other stuff right now. <laughs> well, and but, even still, are they going to tell Gannon everything they have going? If if they right, do, he's if a they are detective, he doesn't mean shit to them. Yeah, your your authority is you exist. <laughs> That's yeah. no authority. You're this dude on the internet who's telling us what to do, like yeah. everyone else on the internet. Yeah, who has very strong opinions about things. Yeah. And hasn't been a cop, what is it, in 20 years, 20 years this year. Hasn't 20 been a cop years? For 20 years. 
no wonder he doesn't know the internet. <laughs> <laughs> that makes more mm, sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he retired in 2001. I mean, man, I was in fucking seventh grade in 2001. No. <laughs> Baby walker. <laughs> so, overall, how do you feel about all of this? Like I said, man, it's, it, it's possible. Okay, I'm that's what I was going to say. possible. But there's just so many questions. I mean, they know about the decom. They know how GHB is affected in decom. Mm -hmm. They know how dying in water is affected by drinking beforehand. They know symbols get painted on fucking riverbank. <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> and at least 25 cities. Mm -hmm. uh, at least. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's, it's just, you can do anything. Like they, I mean, the parameters they set are so low that you can really make anything fit mm -hmm. is the issue. There's not an, there's not enough of a narrow scope on it to imply that it's yeah this is definitely a thing yeah it's a part of me yeah. wants to now grab a case that I worked or even just make up a case and create details similar to this just complete nonsense to see if people will believe it because you know they will you what could you can what's the rule you can convince a jury to convict a fucking ham sandwich or something <laughs> yeah. Especially now with the internet. The hive mind of the internet is going to turn whatever you talk about into fact. It is now fact. This is canon. Everything is canon. Yeah. So, in your opinion, is this a serial killer or groups of serial killers or something else? I think there's a lot of unfortunate accidents. <laughs> yeah, I'm... It's kids getting drunk and falling into a river. Well, and even, it's... like lacrosse, yeah. they, they were dared. They dared me to swim out and touch the island. That was one of them. Yeah. Now, I what mean, what early 20s adult isn't going to go, I can do it, especially when you're drunk. Yeah. Hell yeah, yeah watch I mean, me. Hold my beer, watch this. The coordination it would take to have a group of serial killers covering, what, 11 states, killing up to 335 people is fucking insane. Absolutely unrealistic. One person can kill, I think the most was... 200 something by a dude mm -hmm. in venezuela there's only been a handful of serial killer groups a la the manson family there's mm -hmm. the dc sniper duo but that's all like super localized the dc snipers did what virginia dc new york maybe yeah. it was all up and down an interstate mm -hmm. but it's not going from the midwest to the east coast that's just well and now there's insane. alleged new cases that are texas and california Oh that, my God. that they're that they're associating that are I, anymore. there are no rules that's that's the spoiler it, like if you had a set tag mm -hmm. i could see it if you had a yeah. set kind of like paint. an actual signature even the yeah. smiley faces don't look the same and they claim yeah, that this they is said there was what nine variations or something like that yeah nine variations uh, and variations. even of so if it's just two dots in a you know semicircle at the bottom so just two dots in a the smile they look different it's different paint it's different you know size it's different whatever so he claims that this means that they're, it's different people, part of the same group. I claim that it's just ding-dongs painting smiley faces on things. Yeah, it's different people making the paintings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like everything else. Yeah, it's very different it's, to the it's, to the drowning. Yeah, it's nothing it's to do. and jack off some fucking spray paint and bridges. That's yes. all it is. Yep. It's just, it's too much for me to actually. So, so when, when did it become that. too much? When did it cross the line? For you. 40 cases that I can see. Bump it up to maybe 50, possibly. 335. <laughs> all right. That's, that's where, that's where we went here. too far. <laughs> so, all right. Yeah, we found this graffiti 
10 miles away. Could have been 10 miles in either direction. And you're looking at every single spot there could be graffiti mm -hmm. down a river, which is 10 miles plus bridges passing overhead, plus riverbanks, plus trails going around it, and any Jersey barrier of any highway that's even close to it. You're going to find something that you can make fit profile. Yes. But if they're working together, they're going to make a calling card to signify something. To know, hey, yeah, it's this group that did it. Or well, something that's at least close. And so I haven't done tons of research on general serial killers, but don't they usually want to be acknowledged? Isn't this kind of a thing that the, they're they're doing it for the attention? So why would you pick yeah. a smiley face or 14, you know, 14 or 13 total symbols? Why wouldn't you like write the name of your the smiley face killers? <laughs> or just say, hey, it's us that's doing it. It's the Zodiac. It's, it's, Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> huh? I'm going to send you this letter and tell you I killed these people. Well, swears it was, it was me. Yep, it was. <laughs> Whatever. I, uh, here's this evidence to say that I did this mm -hmm. because I'm using the same paint. That's the thing. They're proposing. I think they're trying to propose that these guys are so fucking smart that we're not going to be caught. And we know yeah. we're doing this just because we don't like college white guys. Age. Yeah, college age <laughs> yeah. men. Yeah. It, it's just. <sighs> Gannon's theory behind it is absurd because is he like an fbi profiler did he go to the class to know like hey yeah this is definitely what is happening did he submit it to the fbi to get profiled do they think it's an old joke it's there's too many unanswered well, questions i think they answered that the day he went public they released their one sentence <laughs> press release that said uh no try again yeah. <laughs> so part of me looks at this whole circumstance even there are 335 people and wants to say the group is using the fame of the smiley face killer theory to actually bring some attention and money to investigations of potential drowning homicides and accidental drownings. And the rest may be kind of an intentional media sensationalism to get attention. So if we were to weigh the two things, is it appropriate to claim that there are 335 victims of a serial killer over two decades to hopefully convince people to avoid water when they're drunk or to put more money into the investigation of water-related homicides? In your opinion. Oh, well, I would say the running theory is <laughs> probably not pee in a river when you're drunk or try to avoid all bodies of water while drinking. So would you say that it's appropriate for them to claim there are 335 victims to get people <sighs> to, to not pee in the river when they're drunk? I mean, Or that's, take dares to swim to islands? I mean, you could put on a seminar to elementary kids or college kids at a school and do the exact same thing without... Inventing a serial killer? Mortgage your, yeah, without <laughs> having to mortgage your house on an investigation you got wrapped up in. Yeah, that's that's a detail we didn't really mention, but Gannon got so uh, yeah. intimate with this that he mortgaged his home to afford continuing his investigation. I mean, people get wrapped up in cases all mm -hmm. the time, and it completely burns you out. And yeah. this dude is just going. He yeah. went all in on a theory that could be true. And we're all going to get proven wrong. We're going to look like idiots. Yeah. In 2019, he said we were going to. Uh, it's, I mean, there's a very real chance, but there's also a very real chance that I'm going to win the lottery. Yeah. And what is it? I is it still at 500 million? I have no idea. I never okay. even bought a ticket. Oh. <laughs> so my chances are zero. <laughs> I can't. It's just too outlandish for me to actually even conceive. If you want to raise awareness on drowning homicides... You can start a fundraiser. You can get specialized in river rescues or medical examiner's office special mm -hmm. focus on water deaths. Or fundraise for those things. Let the experts Anything. do what the experts do. Yeah. 
or just go be an autopsy tech somewhere. Do, do anything yeah, besides provi provide your expertise. A conspiracy theory. I mean, you're a detective of 20 years. You, you know what you're doing. Obviously, you've mm -hmm. made a career out of it. It's just get caught up, man. Yeah, got a, got, a, got a little lost. Yeah, you got to know when to separate. So it's another piece of advice. Yeah, Don't get, you will burn out very quickly yeah. if you get very involved with something. Yeah, it's That's... happened to everybody. Yeah, cases cases can eat you up. Which is why I have a point one six on a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey. You aren't barely drunk. It's fine. So I can still function. That's that's all that matters. Yeah. The topic number three for this particular podcast is called the Bullshit Bulletin. And we are gonna talk about current events in law enforcement. Now we're not gonna talk about the Capitol siege. That seems like a hmm, topic still. For, uh, that is active... a very dark road. <laughs> yeah, so for active law enforcement, we're not going to go down there. However, we can't talk about the Nashville bombing from Christmas. This one is interesting. There's a lot of claims, one of which being on August 21st of 2019, Anthony Warner was the, the suspect in this case, who was 63 years old from Tennessee. He told his girlfriend, or his girlfriend told Nashville police that he was building bombs in an RV at his residence. The police... I should say, okay, she was, she had contact with law enforcement because she was suicidal. That's what was happening. She was having a, a major mental health incident and law enforcement was contacted to evaluate her to see if she was okay, what they could do to help her. During that time, she was sitting outside her house with guns on the porch. The guns were unloaded and she said that they belonged to Tony Warner, Anthony Warner, and that she did not want them in the house any longer. She, again, she was suicidal at the time. So the guns were taken. Shortly after... The woman's attorney told officers that Warner frequently talks about the military and bomb making and that he knows what he's doing and is capable of making a bomb. The attorney was the one who told them that girlfriend told him. So this is a huge game of telephone. But the girlfriend told the attorney, who then told law enforcement, that he was building bombs in the RV trailer at his residence. The police followed up at Warner's residence and saw his RV behind the house. So the vehicle was in a fenced-in yard. And the police were unable to see inside of the RV. While there... It was noted that there were several security cameras and wires attached to an alarm sign on the front door. They saw no evidence of a crime and had no authority to enter the home or the fence property. His only prior history was in 1978. He had a marijuana-related charge, and it appears he got a max of one year in jail, two years probation, from what I could find in court records. So this was on August 21st that the mental health crisis happened. And then on the 26th, the police called the attorney back and he declined to allow police to interview Warner or go on Warner's property. The woman's attorney said Warner did not care for the police and that he would not allow Warner to give consent to officers to conduct a visual inspection of the RV. The attorney now states he has no memory of that. He did not represent him anymore. He was not an active client. He is not a criminal defense attorney, uh, though he did represent Warner in a civil case that he, ex he claimed was several years ago. So I went creeping, as one does, and found that there isn't an existing civil case, the only civil case involving Anthony Warner. It was a real estate probate case that happened in February of 2019 and ended in October of 2019, which is not several years in fact, it was still allegedly mm -hmm. open at the time the girlfriend reported this information. It does not list Throckmorton. Raymond Throckmorton was the attorney. It does not list him as the attorney. However, it appears the case moved from civil to probate court almost immediately, and the attorney did not work another case in 2019 that he is listed on the court documents. I went down a rabbit hole. A little suspicious. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's all bullshit, but I'm saying either someone doesn't remember some details or something is effed up in their court records because the what i'm seeing is what i'm seeing 
Anthony Quinn Warner, a 63-year-old from Antioch, Tennessee, died in the blast. The blast damaged more than 45 buildings and injured at least eight people. Seven buildings remain unsafe for occupants, and three may face complete demolition. There was a broadcast of for 15 minutes of an ominous warning in a computerized female voice that it would soon explode, spraying police and bystanders to leave the area. The VIN number of the RV matched that of the vehicle registered to Warner, describing him generally as a loner, and he was kind of a hermit, and he was just a legitimate recluse. Warner hunted for aliens and believed in lizard people. I did not see that one. <laughs> That's why I wanted you to read this. Yeah. I Reliable. guess he hunted for aliens and believed in lizard people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just as likely as 335 people getting drowned by a group of serial killers. Bringing it back. Uh, yeah. He may have been motivated, at least in part, by paranoia over 5G technology. Oh. And transferred his longtime home in Antioch to a California woman for nothing in return. And apparently she didn't know this. He just transferred the house to her in court. Like, you got a house now. <laughs> yeah. He died in the blast. So, yeah, she's she owns two pieces of property, allegedly, from him. Uh, so I'm um, I don't know how to feel about that. That's very weird. I mean, he obviously knew what he was doing. He planned this. You don't yeah. transfer homes in, in legal documents to people who aren't your family or, you know, close family or your girlfriend. Right. I mean, he had he had a girlfriend. Fuck that lady, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> she gets nothing. Metro Nashville Police Chief John Drake was uh, part of a briefing and stated that Warner was anti-police and anti-government. Drake says the bombing was not deemed to be a terrorist act by the FBI. They feel this person may not have been politically motivated. The definition of terrorist, domestic terrorist, must involve some sort of motivating information. Yeah, it's trying to change. It's trying to change a religious, political, or some sort of movement. But, I mean, he believed 5G was trying to take over his mind, so isn't (laughs) that a movement? In his eyes? In lizard people. you have to look at the evidence... He was probably a Pastafarian. <laughs> There's a chance. <laughs> the flying spaghetti monster. I mean, yeah. Involved, obviously. I could argue he was trying to change the political views of 5G. Yeah, so that people didn't, didn't believe in it. A significant detail is that this happened. Uh, it crippled the telecommunication system throughout the southeast due to damage to an AT&T switch facility that he, was, he parked his RV in front of. So that seems intentional. I'd say it's intentional just because he built a bomb. He made a... <laughs> he made a broadcast to let people out. He didn't want to get people hurt. That's the thing. Besides himself, I guess. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's that was strange. That Agreed. It's the world. 2020, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the end. Went out with a bang. Sorry. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a there was a, an article, but we've gone appropriately long on this. There's there's audio from all the 911 calls. The first reports were three rounds of gunshots in an apartment building. Uh the same report came from just down the road. So the first one was at the address was 178 Second Ave. The second one was 116 Second Ave. Hearing gunshots on the street three times, six or seven shots each, about 10 minutes prior to the call. And this was at about, about 530 in the morning. At 166 Second Avenue, a woman called in and said, we have a recording saying we have a limited time to evacuate the area. Is that you guys? Is that law enforcement? There's a large bomb inside this vehicle. It's playing over and over again outside. At 6.30, there's the first post-explosion 911 call where the caller says, my entire building just fell down and collapsed. Oh my God, I think it's an explosion. We have to get out. We can't be up here. The next 911 call says that a person was working in the symphony, symphony center nearby and that there was a big explosion close to the AT&T building. So 
just speaking from my personal experience of working nights pretty much my entire career. This is not what you want to hear at six o'clock in the morning. It's like, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm I'm winding down. I'm ready to get like I'm unload my car. So yeah, it's like, yeah, it's time to chill. So there might be a car crash or something. That's if there's an odd domestic here or there for mm-hmm. a kid that doesn't want to get up and get ready for school or something like that. But it's a fucking bomb going off and blowing up the AT&T building, knocking out communications. Not how you want to end your day. No, no, no. But you could just vaguely hear her in the background. This area must be evacuated now. Imagine you live in a house in that area, and now they're telling you this ve- this area must be evacuated now. You have a limited time to evacuate the area. There's a large bomb inside this vehicle. <laughs> Say you live there. You're not even a cop. You just live there. Like, what parts of you are absolutely <laughs> freaking out? <laughs> not make light of the situation at all. No. But have you seen the G.I. Joe PSAs that they dumped over? The pork chop sandwiches? No. Of <laughs> So... It's basically a PSA for a, uh, a so they dub, that's on fire. They dubbed this over the explosion is what you're telling me? Uh, that would be amazing. Just oh. make it the announcements. <laughs> I thought, oh, my I thought that's what you were saying. Okay, sorry. Take it back. No. Basically, this dude runs into a kitchen that's on fire. These two kids standing around. It's basically a grease fire. Mm-hmm. Yells, just running around yelling, pork chop sandwiches. <laughs> just trying to get kids out of the area. It's like, you know shit's about to go down. What are you doing? (laughs) Just get the fuck out of here. I'm sure that's going to be a thing very shortly. Now, you just created it. You've you've brought it to existence. Just the visual of that is blowing my mind. The overarching mentality here that I have to kind of bring attention to is law enforcement has a reputation for the too soon. Too soon? Is it too soon? And it's already been memed. Too soon? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this yeah. not uncommon, um, but yeah, yeah we're going to probably end up memeing it. It's, it's the only way to actually get through traumatic experiences. Yes, true. True. Because it just goes to a different part of your brain, I guess, mm-hmm. and it doesn't hurt as bad. Yeah, it's very true. Laugh to keep from crying. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Another takeaway. All right. We are done. Unless you have something else about Nashville or Smiley Face. I got nothing. I think everything's been said about Smiley Face. Okay. There's a question in the chat. So are any arguments from seasoned drunks when caught on a DUI that because of their tolerances, they're higher and they may be more capable of controlling motor slash mental function under influence? A DUI sentence should be given under each circumstance depending. So basically you're saying if a person is a seasoned alcoholic and they're a point two, but they're still functioning, they're a functioning alcoholic, should they get a DUI? My state has two different citations for that. So DUI is a citation. You were driving while impaired, right? So you're too impaired to drive. But there's also a separate citation for prohibited alcohol concentration. So even if for some reason you are not impaired to the point of, you know, being incapable of driving, you can still get cited for prohibited alcohol concentration. The big reason that that comes up is commercial drivers. So if you have a a CDL driver's license, so a commercial driver's license, your actual bar for OWI is lower. It's a 0.02, which means realistically for most people, two drinks, two drinks and you're done. You are over your limit. Don't don't mess around with anything more than a drink and drive your vehicle, personal vehicle or your you know commercial vehicle. So even if 
not necessarily too impaired. If I pull someone over who is driving a car and has a commercial driver's license and they smell like alcohol and they admit to drinking, even if they potentially pass fields, they could get that prohibited alcohol concentration citation. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, pretty much the same thing. Same thing in my state is yep. if you go do your tests, pass everything, still give clues to like nystagmus and stuff like that enough to where I can take you to go get tested, mm -hmm. then we have a chart of, all right, you're below 0 0.08, 0 0.08 to, it's like 0 0.08 to 16 and 16 and up. So it's varying degrees and it's the same thing with CDLs. I think that's pretty much nationwide. The 0.2? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're probably right. So about the smiley face killer, would this be as high profile of a theory if the FBI didn't acknowledge it? And viewing it the other way, if this wasn't at least a little bit credible or a small potential of it being true, would the FBI come out and talk? Why would the FBI come out and talk about it? My, my opinion is because I referenced a source in there about forensic pathology having a difficult time determining, you know, uh, hypothermia. It's the same thing with drowning. You, it's one of those things that you, I think it was said even in Gannon's book, that drowning is determined by ruling everything else out. So he was found in a river, rule out, you know, blunt force trauma, rule out you know, gunshot wound, rule out all these other things. And if you come back to he was just in a river, he drowned. That, that was kind of the, the consensus I got. So, yes, they did all. They were all found in rivers. Many of them did not have any sort of trauma that would have indicated them entering the river dead or potentially entering the river dead. They didn't have any poison in their system. They didn't have any of these other things. So they are all unexplained drownings. So we don't have an explanation for how exactly they got into the river and died. So we're kind of filling in details from like this. So for example, the Tommy Booth case we talked about, it was it was shorter. We don't we don't really know. Like there isn't anything that people know. Is it suspicious? Maybe. Is the fact that there was uh, graffiti on the back of a bar suspicious? I don't know about much. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's where we might have a line. It um depends on what part of town the bar's in. Maybe. Yeah. I don't even know about that. Factors. Yeah. If it's across from the sheriff's department or the police department, maybe. Now we're maybe suspicious. That's ballsy. So do you think, Walker, would this be as high profile of a theory if the FBI didn't acknowledge it? Would it be as popular? I mean, they were probably catching a lot of shit from a lot of different people because I'm sure they're talking with the families and the families are writing the FBI. So you got to get involved with this. This is ridiculous. Why aren't you doing anything? There's a stereo killer going out there. Yeah. And this so, started two years prior to that public release, at least two right. years prior, prior. So they've been doing a lot of research with a lot of different people in various different cities. I'm sure that have like a task force that go along with looking for serial killers or just getting information together. So I think it would be the exact same. The FBI knows when to get involved with something. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think the FBI got a kick, um, like yeah. a, a kick in the ass because the heat they released, they went public with their, you know, claim that this is a, right. a serial killer. This is a serial killer. Well, then the FBI has to go, no, 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 it's not. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> Hold up, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, mm -mm. <laughs> Back, back that truck up. I mean, they have to acknowledge it because someone said something. Yeah, it's and like publicly. It's saying, hey, we don't have this evidence to prove this, mm -hmm. that say that we're doing this. They yeah. have to say something because they're getting accused of it. Yep. It's, it's, it's better just... to acknowledge it. Another question. Even if the smiley face theory is wrong, what if they find out one area where this is a killer who is doing what he says, even if it's 10 drownings and not over 300, similar to lacrosse, lacrosse having a handful, realizing that that specifically is drunk college kids, but something similar. I don't doubt it. 
to be perfectly honest, is it is it impossible? Absolutely not. Especially now that this theory is publicized. If you're if you're a person looking for a way to kill people, I mean, yeah, they start painting smiley faces <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Apparently, you push people in rivers, and the, the I guess the fight back that I have is that none of these people had trauma. So if there's no, I mean, you know, blunt force trauma, physical trauma, something indicative of a fight, if none of them had, it's it's harder for me to believe that these people were killed and then dumped in a river with no evidence of being killed and dumped in a river. And there are theories out there that water washes away all evidence, and that's simply not true. Some, sure, depending on how long they're in their water. Yeah, probably, maybe. But being tossed in a river doesn't mean that automatically, you know, you're not going to be able to tell. It's the same thing like pouring bleach on blood. Does it get rid of the blood? No, it just smears it around everywhere. (laughs) You got to do more. There's more to it. And I mean, if you're in a fight, you might get bloody knuckles. You Mm -hmm. might have tears on your fingers those aren't going to heal if you drown in a river because your body's not going to heal naturally yeah so mm-hmm. there's going to be something i mean what's weird you're getting just completely taken from behind and strangled there'd be evidence of that around your neck there'd be ligature marks mm-hmm. there's yeah. t- getting punched in the face you're gonna have <laughs> bruising you're gonna have a broken socket you're gonna have something there's got to be more evidence of just other than passing out and walking into a river or yeah, walking into a river and then going into shock. I guess my thing at the end of the day, there are 335 people who died, who died, who passed away. And that is unfortunate. That is devastating. They all, you know, regardless of whether it's a homicide or suicide or an accidental drowning or undetermined, whatever, however you want to classify it, it's unfortunate. However, that doesn't mean there's a serial killer. And I think a little part of this is families who love their the person they've lost clinging to something to justify it. Like that one woman said, I think it was Dakota James's mom who said, and it was commented in the chat and I saw it, but he was a good person and not some 23-year-old kid that got drunk and decided to pee in a river and fell in on his own. Right. He's not a bad person for falling in a river. <laughs> yeah. It, it, Just shit well, happens. When and I was, unfortunately, it happened to him. Yeah, and it happens it to good people. To. There's there's yeah. no reason that a good person can't take a piss in a river and drown. Like that's unfortunately that's just what happens. I did a lot of research on this obviously, and Granger Smith, who is a country artist, his 3-year-old child drowned 20 feet away from him in their pool without making a sound. So if you want to talk about, you know, a a, a bad thing happening to a good person, it's a 3-year-old. That's a baby who drowned silently without anyone knowing and people being outside next to the pool. Now, these are people who are drunk, alone, and walked away from, you know, walked towards a river. Are we to believe that a three-year-old can do it, but a 23-year-old drunk kid can't? Uh, I go with no. <laughs> I, I believe Babies that that's absolutely are possible. essentially just drunk people. Yes, fact. So. Fact. <laughs> so, I think that's all we have for questions. I didn't see anything else. We already talked about the drunks. Do you have any last notes that popped into your head? none that i can think of and thank you for uh, letting me be your first yes doesn't thank happen you. that often <laughs> it only happens once <laughs> okay uh thank you walker for being the first thank you for being bold enough to come on here and uh crawl into yeah. this particular dumpster fire Thank you to everyone who was here today there are quite a few people here which is interesting we're obviously going to do this again i so to explain i will be the one doing the podcast every time I do it, but I will also bring on guests. So this time Walker was more than willing, a very willing guinea pig for this incident. So I was into. no, had no clue, <laughs> crawled into a very long 
well-researched document. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think it turned out okay. It, it was wasn't good. terrible. Yeah, yeah. It was, I learned a lot of things mm -hmm. that I didn't think I would learn. Yeah. And I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah, it was it was an experience. Uh, thank you to Walker and specifically directing you to the fact that Walker doesn't stream on Twitch right now, but he does have a Twitch channel. Obviously, he spends a lot of time in my chat each night. So I posted the link in the chat if anyone is willing, bored, whatever, wants to, to follow Walker just in case. He does have a gaming PC. We bullied him into that earlier in 2020. So it exists. It's possible. He just hasn't done it yet. Kind of works. Yeah. <laughs> it has some unique experiences, just like everybody's, yeah. just like mine, for crying out loud. And then the last thing is a link to the form. It's an anonymous form. You click on Google Forms. It doesn't ask for email. It doesn't pull any email data. Um, but it gives you the opportunity to give us some feedback or me some feedback specifically. Um, I'm not going to say that Walker will never reappear on the podcast. Obviously, we had fun. It was good. It was it, it was, you know, it was it was the first time. Uh, how about the idea that maybe there's just edgy kids that browse the local newspaper, find a eulogy about someone who drowned in the river, and then they decide to mark the spot just for shits and giggles? That's one of my complaints about the graffiti theory. Was there's no definition on one what what exactly the graffiti looks like, or two when it was put, when it was put, and exactly where it was put. You know, it could be ten miles away. It could be with horns, without horns. It could be, you know, with a circle around it, no circle around it. They have a, an article with a bunch of pictures and they all look completely different. So which one counts? And then the graffiti generally is looked at after the fact when Ganon becomes involved and decides that, oh, this is now maybe significant. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Walker? I mean, are you going to be able to age the paint to tell when it was actually painted? Allegedly, I mean, they can. something older? Mm-hmm. Apparently they can do the science behind it. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently they can do it and then tell you like the makeup of the paint. Okay. Are these similar paints in the same area? You know, if it's well, that I get. like you make a composition, like it's a chemical composition of the mm -hmm. paint. So when it was manufactured, probably by who? Yeah. Um, so they're they're saying that yeah, you can tell weathering through how what happened to it. Allegedly. Let's see the science. But people Show aren't. The science. Uh, well, okay. Let's be honest. Every dead body that you find. Every attempted dead body that you find, are you going to peel all the graffiti? Are you going to take samples from all the graffiti in the area? Just no, in case. I'm going to call the homicide detectives and <laughs> say, here, here's your scene. Don't do that. <laughs> this is no longer my job. <laughs> Naughty. Your, your scene is secure. My role is done. All right, well. <laughs> don't do that. Um, the joys of the troll. Yeah. Uh, my, my thing is, if we did that, I bet we could make all kinds of new theories because I could probably <laughs> I could make some right now, you know, of, yeah. of you know, cases where, oh, there's, there was green, the same green paint. It's unfortunately it's the only paint sold in town. But, hey, it's the same green paint on all these buildings. It's obviously the same tagger. And I would have news for you that little shits do little shit things by buying from the local store where they can walk to. And in these like in more rural areas, that's the only place and that's the only paint. So guess what? <laughs> They're all using the same shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, we found these super weird green fibers on this person. It's yeah, that's in every city house that was built from the '60s to the '80s. <laughs> that carpet, and it's probably in the house. <laughs> yeah, because they haven't been updated. That accent, yeah, Haas. 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 Ha. I proposed that I could have done the entire James breakdown in the Yinzer accent. But yeah, I didn't want it. I smacked down uh, some shenanigans. Not not because I didn't think it would be fun, but because I was I was more anxious about the 
when it's not the audio of us sticking or it's just the audio of us yeah. sticking around. I wasn't sure. Again, things that I'll learn from. And don't worry, I'll be able to find things with your crazy weird accent. That oh, was perfectly. Was yeah. Drunker and drunker the entire time, <laughs> and it slips out more and more. We'll 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 find it. We'll we'll do another topic at some point where we can include your your beautiful accent. Oh, beautiful! That's perfect. That's just what I need. Uh-huh. More yeah. people to make fun of the way I talk. Yeah. Okay, that's what we need. With graffiti people who are into it, they will mark the whole city everywhere they can. Then you get copycats who mark even more. Yeah. There's like a nationwide database of graffiti, so you can see all of the shit that people paint. And, you know, a train drives through and now you got inspiration. You're inspired by this new tag on this train. That's another thing. We're a fucking train pass by and they tag a train with a smiley face. What are you yeah. going to do then? It's just gone. Maybe maybe that's what they're counting. That's maybe something. a train was parked somewhere near the body and now it counts within 10 miles. <laughs> Every train, I bet, has a smiley face if it's tagged at all on it. Okay. I'm all fucked up on cheesecakes. 2021, boys. No longer alcohol or meth or whatever it's now cheesecake all right again thank you guys for being here this was an experience um i would appreciate if you provide feedback because obviously there were some things throughout the whole thing that it was it was hard to manage everything and to to anticipate everything so i did the best i could i appreciate you guys this was great i don't have like an outro written for this so it's just like ah deuces thank you thank you thank you and last but not least to the recorded audience a huge thank you just in case you don't know where to find the live recordings of the podcast, we do them at twitch.tv slash Polisi. That's P-O-L-E-E-S-I. The guest for this episode can be found at twitch.tv slash offyourwalker. That's O-F-F underscore U-R underscore walker. For details on future podcasts and potential recording dates, please check the description of this episode. Thank you. Bye. 